as stupid too as I. You're as stupid too as I. You'll never live. You'll never die. You're as stupid too as I. Hey everybody, welcome back to this Monday of the Better Off Dead Minute podcast. The daily podcast where we analyze the movie Better Off Dead one bodaciously small minute at a time. I'm your host, Curtis Blaze from thesacknews.com. And I'm Jason Hummel from Mondo Confidential. Also your host. Today we're examining Minute 16, which starts with Lane once again on the receiving end of an attempted assault from Rocco and ends with Charles and Lane in the supermarket, talking about why Lane should not commit suicide. Curtis, how about you tell us what happened in this minute? Well, Jason, in the previous minute, a distraught Lane got into another race with the Ree brothers with disastrous results and ended up at the wrong end of Rocco's fists. At minute 15, Lane has crawled to the back seat of his car in an attempt to avoid Rocco's attempts to, quote, make him see God. Unquote. At 15 minutes and 2 seconds, Lane walks through the front door of his home and tells his mom that Beth broke up with him. Mom says, that's nice, and continues vacuuming. <laughs> At 15 minutes and 16 seconds, ominous music begins playing, and we see Lane testing the strength of a noose he has around his neck so that he can hang himself. At 15 minutes and 30 seconds, Lane begins to question his decision to commit suicide. At 15 minutes and 42 seconds, Lane's mom, still vacuuming, steps out into the garage and inadvertently knocks Lane off the step. Lane swings out into the air and begins to strangle. At 15 minutes and 51 seconds, we learn that Lane must have recovered because he's now at the supermarket being lectured to by Charles about the futility of suicide. So we're on the second time now of Rocco trying to get Lane. And he isn't able to, at least... I don't think he's able to. No, we don't see any bruises. You would think at this point, Lane being trapped in the back seat of the car, that Rocco would have at least been able to separate him from his car. Because how would Lane make it to the, well, okay, the unfilmed scene. Lane pops out the back car door. Rocco runs around to the car. Lane runs around to the front of the car, gets back in, pops all the locks, gets in the car, and takes off. Probably hitting Rocco's car again on the way <laughs> while Rocco is screaming and waving his fist as Lane peels off in the car and gets away. That's the unfilmed scene in my mind. The other version of that is Rocco catches him and beats the shit out of him. Have you ever given the transition between Rocco going after him and him walking in the door any thought? I haven't really given it a lot of thought, but I don't even mention it. He does seem to be in pretty good condition. So I don't think he's gotten his lights punched out. Yeah, he's still got his ski gloves fastened to his belt and his driving goggles. Oh, I guess those are his ski goggles, too. Yeah, that skiing ski goggles slash um, <laughs> racing goggles. These are not regular goggles. These are racing goggles <laughs> to, or, uh, wrapped around his neck. So he walks in. He tells mom that Beth broke up with him. Kim Darby... I've never properly appreciated this woman's performance in this movie. Every scene she's in, to me, she steals. She's just cracking me up every time. <laughs> yeah, she's like the ultimate 50s mom on acid, kind of. When we're talking 80s moms, she seems to be a throwback to, I guess you're right, to, yeah. to like the 50s. Yeah, the, the, the cleaning, the cooking, 
the not really paying attention to what your son is saying. Or anyone else. She's really living in her own world. Yeah. Did we talk about the uh, behind-the-scenes bit I read about Kim? God, she's just so hilarious. I mean, I, I almost can't tell this story without laughing. Where she's, it's the bacon scene from the last minute, two minutes ago. No, God, from back from minute six. Six, yeah, minute back six. Back from minute six, wow. Um, where she's lifting, where she's doing the bacon scene, and over and over again, she's playing it straight, and the cast and crew are breaking up so bad that Savage Steve ends up having to hide underneath of the table. <laughs> And the actors in the scene only held it together long enough for her to make it to the end of their lines. I don't know if you've ever noticed this. Go back to minute and six and look. They have to cut really, 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 really quick after she gets done talking. <laughs> and all of her scenes are like that. Every single one of her scenes are the most hilarious things that are said in the movie because she delivers them so straight. I'm becoming a big Kim Darby fan because of this movie. Well, so moving on, he, uh, the next thing is... Of course. Suicide. I wonder if at any point David Ogden Stiers had the theme song from MASH going through his head. If he's like <laughs> wandering around the set. You know how you get songs caught in your head? Yeah. If he's wandering around the set going, suicide is painless. <laughs> Brings on many changes. This is the second scene in this movie that to me suggests that there could have been some validity to John Cusack's theory that it was going to be dark. My only problem with that theory is as he is committing suicide or attempting, making his first attempt, he does that monologue to himself that doesn't seem like the monologue of someone who's being serious about committing suicide. I mean, he did go as far as making a plan. He went as far as getting a rope and tying it around his neck, making it solid to the garage ceiling. Well... You know, maybe I don't have that much of a complaint. What do you think about his, his monologue? Does that strike you as someone who was seriously con ser seriously considering suicide 10 seconds prior? To me, it's just like he lost his head uh, momentarily, then he got his senses back. But it seems to be a chronic thing. With it. You know, he, he keeps kind of hitting bottom with his uh, post-dumping depression. Did you ever, when you were watching this, before you became an analyst of the movie, take it seriously? Did you ever feel like Lane was really seriously suicidal? No. Yeah, me neither. And that was always kind of the one failing of this movie for me. As hilarious as it is, every single scene is a laugh a minute or five laughs a minute. But the central premise that he feels he's better off dead, I never really quite got that on any watching. It was the one thing that kept it from being a dark comedy. Really? Wow, I never thought about it, but if they were able to sell Lane being serious about committing suicide, I think that is the thing that would have pushed this movie over the top. From farcical comedy to serious black comedy. It maybe would have been... God, I almost know what John Cusack is talking about when he says, or I'm paraphrasing, when he suggests that the film made him look like an idiot. I don't know, do you, do you have a sense of what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. This is the first time for me really getting down to that aspect of, of this movie. Up until now, I've never really thought about the whole black comedy angle. I've never really considered it a black comedy. 
But with just a little bit of a tone shift in these scenes, I think it could have been very successfully a, a good black comedy instead of eh, kind of a black comedy. Like if the entire movie had been the same, except the suicide scenes were deadly serious. Yeah, I'm not sure it would have worked. Uh, just the tonal clash of it, you know, you know, somebody that's seriously commit, um, contemplating suicide and then all this kind of wackiness around him. Uh, it would have had to be slowed down, brought to that down to that level, and then sped back up to the wackiness, and then brought back down again. That might have been... I think it would have been really confusing to people. Well, confusing how? Knowing whether to laugh or not. What if it was clear that they weren't supposed to laugh during the attempts, during the scenes where he's attempting? I probably am just talking about a different kind of movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because then we would have lost the, uh, the that's a terrible waste of a white boy scene. <laughs> well, you know what? He didn't really attempt suicide either. Because mom, we find out at the end of the scene, is the one that actually causes him to even be in danger. I mean, he's got the rope wrapped around his neck. He's got the rope tied to the garage ceiling. He's standing on the step. He's getting ready to do it. But then he suddenly has a realization, hey, he hasn't been to New York. He hasn't seen anything. He hasn't been anywhere. And then mom. <laughs> yeah, he's like a half second from getting that noose off his neck, and then mom just busts through the door. <laughs> humming. Okay, not humming. Just reviewed. No. What the hell's going on with that door? Did you see that door? <laughs> Here, look. Yeah, it looks... Looks like it's half off the hinge. Something's up with that door. I never noticed that before. I wonder if it was part of the special effects somehow, like the door had to open wider in order to knock him off and to plausibly keep him off the ledge <laughs> than the hinges would allow for, and they were just like, just push it harder, just break it open, who cares? <laughs> It'll read fine on, on film. Or maybe Kim Darby's just too strong. I just love that, though. That's just the funniest part. He's struggling to get back onto the step, feet flailing, <laughs> and she just keeps pressing the door open. <laughs> <laughs> well, then we get to Charles DeMar's first real scene in the movie. Do I have that right? He's, he's got a background up until now. They're shopping for drugs. <laughs> kind of. They're shopping for whippets. They're shopping for... Uh, they're shopping for things to get Charles high with at the grocery store. Possibly nutmeg. We don't know. <laughs> Lane, is re Lane is obviously recovered. He doesn't have any bruises on his neck or anything. So I guess we can ascertain that he somehow was able to slip his hands underneath the rope and keep himself from strangling. Yeah. He got out of it somehow. Boy, that'd be... Okay. We have here another unfilmed scene. Okay. What's, how does the scene go... When mom realizes that he's hanging there. Or does mom just finish? Does mom just finish vacuuming, go back in, and then he gets back up on the step and lets himself out? That must be how it went. Yeah. I I see her You just never even glancing back. You know, just keep keeping on with the vacuuming. Because if she had actually seen him do that, then she would have, like, got him to a shrink or something, probably. Well, it seems like this character, even if she did see him... Maybe wouldn't have gotten to shrink. She might have just looked and been like, oh, honey, what are you doing? That's nice, dear. <laughs> <laughs> he decides to tell Charles. He shares with Charles that he tried to commit suicide. Wait a minute. Does he? He could say something like, I'm thinking about committing suicide and still get the same response from Charles. 
it's not really in stone that he told him. We don't see a scene where he tells him that he attempted to commit suicide. No. But it's implied. It could have went either way. You're saying that it was intended that it be implied that he told him everything. Yeah. Okay. I can buy that. I can go with that. So Charles' answer is, suicide is never the answer, little trooper. Greendale is a bodaciously small town. Bodaciously small. That's weird to me. (laughs) It's an oxymoron. Is it an oxymoron? Bodacious just means... Jesus, what does bodacious mean? mean? Greatly. Greatly. A bodacious... Okay, so in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, when Ted, Bill, described Diane... Franklin. Franklin's... Princess. Princess character as bodacious... What is he, was he just saying she's greatly? <laughs> I always, in context, I always thought bodacious meant... Well-built. Well-built. There we go. Yeah. So bodaciously small town. Well-built small town? That can't be what he meant. <laughs> We're idiots. We're idiots. <laughs> Probably just very in this context. Yeah. Very small town. Extremely. So what do we got in Charles's grocery cart of homemade drugs? So on a closer examination... The grocery cart full of drugs also has regular food items, unless he's snorting the Twinkie goo, (laughs) which, I don't know, Charles wouldn't put it past him. Yeah, who knows what's in that Twinkie filling, man. Oh, man, I'm I'm tapped out. That's all I got for this minute, Jason. (laughs) Is there anything else in this minute that, uh, that strikes you? Nope. Okay, well... We are the Better Off Dead Minute podcast. You can find our website at betteroffdeadminute.com. You can email us at bodminute at gmail.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 712-830-7373. Leave us a good review at iTunes. Share and retweet. Jason, have you lowered yourself to go listen to any other Movies by Minute podcast yet? I actually have. Whoa! Uh, yeah. It was the uh, Spaceballs episode of the uh, Star Wars Minute. Really? Yeah. So you went right to the source, the Star Wars Minute. Yeah. What's yeah. your impression of them? Pretty funny stuff. Pretty insightful. And I was fascinated by the guy that saw Spaceballs first. Before Hard- Star Wars? Before Star Wars. <laughs> Refresh my memory. Like, was this an early episode or was this lately? This was, that was like, I want to say like minute 89 of A New Hope. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that was, was a great year. I, I, I listened to that entire thing. I caught up with them as they were on minute 16 of The Empire Strikes Back that year. Mm-hmm. And I spent the entire year listening to them while I was painting a house. Wow. I think that's all we got right now. Uh, we'll see you tomorrow, which is, oh God, minute 17 yes. of the Better Off Dead Minute podcast. We're on the edge of 17. The edge of 17. My name is Curtis Blades. And I am Jason Hummel. Thanks, everyone. See you tomorrow.